Good morning, Veritas. My name is Mark Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of opening to the book of Titus, uh, opening our study of Titus. And so if you're new to the Bible, um, it's toward the end. Uh, It's one of the small letters or small um, books of the Bible. And so all the T's in the New Testament are together. So if you get to Timothy, Titus, um, and there you are. So uh, you can turn it on there if you have a phone. But before we get started, um, just Looking around the room, it's, it's pretty obvious that we are a next generation church and, you know, every once in a while I get some older folks that say, hey, I, I came to your church and I felt like, felt like a, I was the only old person in the room and a lot of young people, I'm like, oh no, no, you're not alone, like there's other people here and, uh, but you know, you just feel the weight um, of the responsibility of the next generation, don't you? And, and the weight, I don't know if you guys feel this, uh, but hanging out with all these college students, I mean, um, I don't know, when were you guys born? Like, like 90s and, and after? Um, and there's just a weight of responsibility, not just to teach the gospel, not just to pass off the gospel, but also the responsibility to pass off the great 1980s humor, Right? The humor that this generation is missing, right? All you guys know is The Office. Like, we had funny stuff back in the 80s and 90s as well uh, that you need to know about. And one of my favorites is Farside. Okay, Farside. Um, and so here's a, little, here's a little Farside for you this morning. You get this? Um, I don't know if you can see that down there at the bottom. Some cows and the one in the middle. Hey, wait a minute. This is grass. We've been eating grass. That's hilarious. You get No. You don't get that? You need to uh, pick up on more 80s humor. I know some of you are like, what are we going to do when Office goes off Netflix? Okay, Seinfeld's coming and it's all going to be good, but just go to Farside. Okay, this is hilarious. Check this out. I mean, think about this. Like, what what if the only reason cows ate grass is because they were just going through the motions of eating grass and they didn't know any better? Like, there's there's like food out there, but they didn't know. They just were eating grass this whole time. Here, here's, here's where I'm going with this. All right. I think there's a danger in what we're doing in this thing we call church. There is a danger for us in what we're doing because we show up every week. We have the place that we sit. We come and we listen to music and then we open the Bible and we hear these sermons and, and we go to our connection groups and we go through the motions and how do we know we're not like cows just eating, just doing something? And every once in a while, we need somebody to speak up and say, what are we doing here? Like, what is the point of this? That is exactly why the next seven weeks are so important for us as a church. Because we're going to open to the book of Titus, this New Testament letter and and he reminds us of what we are doing here. Paul the apostle Paul is like that cow saying like what are we doing here guys? We've got to get back to our mission and our purpose. And so if you have a Bible, um, we're going to be reading the first four verses. It begins this way. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life that God who cannot lie promised before time began. 
in his own time, he has revealed his word in the preaching with which I was entrusted by the command of God, our Savior, to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Paul introduces himself as a servant of God and apostle of Christ Jesus. He's actually the guy that wrote the book of Philippians that we just got done studying the last few weeks on humility. And he identifies himself as a servant. He's saying, yeah, anyone who's following Christ needs to adopt the attitude of Christ, which is Jesus humbled himself to death. He's, he's identifying himself as a servant, but he's also saying, and yet I'm an, an apostle. So he's coming with some authority. He's coming more than just, with more than just his opinions. Uh, he knows that he is bringing God's word to the people in Crete and to Titus himself. So he, he even says, um, by the command of God our Savior, this guy, Paul, he was um, a well-known Jewish leader in the church. He was persecuting Christians. And if he became a Christian, and if you were to ask Paul, Paul, who led you to Jesus? You know, a lot of us um, have people in our lives that have influenced us. Someone shared with us the gospel. He, his answer would be, Jesus led me to Jesus. Like, I was riding my horse, got knocked off my horse. I was blinded. The gospel landed in his soul with, with power, and he became an apostle. And he's like, God gave me a command uh, to preach the gospel. So that's this guy, Paul, who's writing this to this guy, Titus. He calls Titus his true son in our common faith. Titus was a young pastor that Paul had mentored. And this book we call a pastoral epistle. So if you're new to the Bible, there's a lot of like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, like Titus, Corinthians. What are these? What are all these books? Well, most of the New Testament is these little, these little books. They're, they're epistles. Now, I don't know if you know what an epistle is. Probably most of you don't. An epistle is just a letter. It's simply a letter. And these letters are written either to uh, churches in cities. So like the book of Corinthians, it's written to the church in the city of Corinth or Philippians that we just studied. It was a letter to the church in Philippi. And so sometimes those letters are to churches named after kind of the city where those, those churches were. Other books like Titus, Titus was not the name of a city. It was the name of a person. So Titus was the leader, one of the leaders in the church in in this area called Crete. And so this is a pastoral epistle. It's a letter that was written to this pastor, Titus. Okay, so Paul tells Titus what his mission and purpose is in the opening of his writing to this, this church leader. Look at verse one. He, he says, I'm a servant of God and an apostle. Listen, for the faith, for the faith, of God's elect. For the faith of God's elect. So when we start this letter, we can kind of get this window into why, is, why Paul is writing. Uh, I've told the story before, but Vince Lombardi, the famous coach, you know, every year he would begin before training camp, he would bring a football up to the, the front of the room and he would say, gentlemen, this is a football. 
we need to come back to the basics. What, what are we here for? What are we doing here? And it's like Paul is saying, for the faith of God's elect, here's, here's what, let me unpack that a little bit. This is what we are doing here. We are doing what we call church. Do you know what church is? Church is, it's actually this Greek word, ekklesia. And it's, here's what that word means. If you break it out, ek is out of. Like we have exits. That word comes from that word, ek, out. Out of. And then klesia is from uh, the word kaleo, which means to call out. So even that word call, kaleo, comes, comes from that word. So church, like what we are doing, like here's our football. This is the basics of why we're here is that we are the called out ones. We are the ones who have been called out. Think of it this way. Like I, um, we for the last year have owned a dog and hopefully we will in the years to come. This, this little, uh, not person, but animal that has invaded our, our home. Uh, it's, this is a hard time of the year because our dog Perry is enjoying the mud. Okay, he's out digging through the mulch. He's still in the puppy stage. And, and so many times I will call out his name because he's digging in the mud somewhere. And I'm like, Perry, no. And then I call him, Perry, come here. You know, and he comes running toward me. He's got those muddy paws and his, his mouth is just black and he comes running and he jumps on me, right? Okay, that is a picture of church. That's church, like I'm calling him out of the mud. I'm just like, Perry, come here. You know, that's what we are doing here. Like, we are God's elect, the ones that he called our names and he called us out of whatever it is we were digging around in and whatever mess we were making. He said my name, Mark. I put up my head and I started running toward him, Right? That's what we're doing here. God has called you to be here and a part of his family. And he's called you out of something. That's what we're doing here. So the church, it's not a a building. Like we are no more a church today than we were a year ago when we were meeting at the Marriott Hotel. Like we're just the same group of people. We're just in a different place. Uh, we are not a philosophy. We are not um, a program, a, a set of programs that we do. We are not, um, as the world sees us, uh, a voting block. You know what we are? The, those people of faith. Like, who, who, are the, who are the people of faith voting for these days? Like, what candidate are they leaning toward? Like, we're not a voting block. We are the called out people of God. So church, this is church. That's why we're here. Paul's writing for the faith of God's elect, the people that he has called out. And so church, in in the words of Eugene Peterson, he said, we are like a colony of heaven in a country of death. When we gather, we become a little picture of a group of people ruled by King Jesus and when we come and we gather, we, we, we order ourselves under the lordship of Jesus. And we actually hopefully give people a glimpse of what 
this little colony of heaven would look like in this country of death that we live in. And so Paul's writing to this young pastor, Titus, and he's saying, Titus, I'm, look at verse five. He says, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. So in verse 10, he continues, he says, in Crete, you know, there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception. So the reason Paul left Titus there is because the church was a mess. We don't know how the church in Crete got started, but by the time Paul got there, and Crete is a, it's a large island. It's one of the largest islands in Europe off the, about 100 miles south of Greece. And so in this time, the gospel had, had made its way to Crete, this island. It's a, it's a massive island. Um, and the church had been planted. The problem was the church was a total wreck. The, there were greedy people, liars, thieves that had gotten into the pulpits and gotten into leadership and gotten into the connection groups. And, you know, this colony of heaven was kind of looking like the country of death. So that's the situation for why Paul is writing. So what do you do? What do you do when the church looks no different from the world? You know, many of you have experienced a lot of hurt related to church because you've, um, you've gone to churches where it's like, um, it doesn't seem a lot different than the world, right? Um, the abuse, the scandals, the somebody um, in leadership gets a power trip and it becomes politics and it becomes about consolidating power. And some of you guys have seen greed in its ugliest forms. Some of you have seen um, you know, hidden sin and sexual immorality and all kinds of terrible things within the church. And this is kind of the situation that Paul is, is writing to, to Titus in. So what do you do when the colony of heaven looks just like the country of death? Here's the solution, and this is kind of the theme of Titus if you look in verse one. He says, I'm writing for the faith of God's elect, and listen, their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. The way to set things right in the church, the way to get the church back on course is, as Paul says, to know the truth. The knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. As you reorient your lives around the truth, you will be transformed to become more and more like God. That word godliness, God-likeness, you will begin to reflect Him. Now, that begs the question as we continue, what is truth? If truth is the way that we will not lose our vision and our purpose, then what is the truth? Where do we find the truth? Well, he says in verse two, look, in the hope of eternal life that God who cannot lie promised before time began. In the hope of eternal life that God who cannot lie promised before time began. He describes God. And when it comes to religion, think about this. What's the one thing that you have to be right about? When it comes to religion, what's the one thing like, 
You can be wrong about a lot of things, but if you get this one thing wrong, like you've missed the whole point. What's the one thing you have to be right about? It's the question, who is God? Who is God? If you get God wrong, then it doesn't matter what else you get right because that's the most important thing to get right. And, And he describes God as truth. He's saying God cannot lie. He's He's not a liar. It's, it's impossible for God to lie. So the first thing, our question, what is truth? Like if we're trying to be the church, this colony of heaven, and we need truth, where's truth? Well, number one, Paul's saying God is truth. God is truth. God cannot lie. This week, we had an incident happen in the errant household, and there's incidents happening all the time. I mean, the kids are in that stage where it, the, I think the bigger the kids get, just the bigger the messes, right? Um, and so the, the boys were driving to school, and all of a sudden, they're going down the road, and they're about to hit a stop sign, and, and it just, all of a sudden, they hear a snap a clunk, and, and there's just this screeching sound. There's this clanging. I, I mean, they're trying to describe what it was. They're like, Dad, it was so loud. Just boom, 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 boom. And like the car's going to explode, and like gunfire's going off in the engine. And then somebody yells from the back seat, smoke! And then that kid jumps ship, just jumps out of the car that's still rolling. To which the driver gets freaked out and hears smoke and this sound and he jumps out of the car and the car's still rolling. And the one child who's still in the passenger seat is having a panic moment like, I don't see any smoke. And he's like looking around trying to smell. So he jumps ship. So now we've got three boys like chasing after this car that's starting to move into oncoming traffic. Now, I sometimes I'm like, I just picture the angels up in heaven and like the errant kids like, no, you know, like they're, they have their hands full, right? The car is, starts veering into oncoming traffic, hits the median, and somehow it goes the other way, hops the curb, goes down and up a muddy embankment and just gets like lodged into the mud. Everyone's safe. The boys are running after the car, right? And I get this text like, we've got a son. One of my kids is on the phone while, the car, while he's running after the car with Letha. I'm getting texts like, emergency, call me. And it was, it was, it was terrible. Um, but everyone's safe and now it's hilarious, okay? Um, but here's the thing. We were eating dinner that night. I was trying to, I was trying to put all the pieces together. You know, like you become... Um, like a detective, like, okay, now what happened? I'm talking to the mechanic and, okay, I, you know, found out like the axle snapped and did the brake line because the brakes weren't working and what, what happened here? I'm trying to put all the pieces together, but I'm like, smoke, you all jumped out of the car because there was smoke. And so I went to the son who yelled smoke and I was like, how did you, where did you see smoke? Because I don't think there was smoke. And he's like, I saw it coming out of the back tire. And I was like, you had your head out the window and you could see the tire? He's like, well, I think I saw smoke. 
I'm like, do you think you saw smoke or did you see smoke? He's like, I'm like, you didn't see any smoke, did you? He's like, well, maybe, but I don't know. Okay, this whole incident, the freak out moment of kids jumping out of the car is because one of my sons yells, smoke, when there is no smoke, okay? He lied, he lied, okay? This incident, you could have pulled the emergency brake, everything calm, would have been fine, but smoke, no. Sometimes we, okay, here's, here's the point. We, as humans, we do this. Like, we see things that we want to see. That's how I smoke. Or sometimes there's smoke and we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to say anything hurtful. We just want to keep the peace and we see smoke and we don't say anything. And we should yell smoke. Like, this is us as humans. Like, we are liars. We bend the truth. We twist the truth. We, and Paul is saying, God is not like us. He's not like us. It's impossible for God to lie about anything. And here's the thing about God. He knows everything. He sees everything. And he is always right about his judgments and what he says. And the word righteous, think about that word, the E-O-U-S ending, right, righteous. It means he's in a condition of being full of right. He's always right. Paul is saying, this is the fundamentals about God and this is a problem for us. Why is this a problem? Does anyone in this room like being wrong? Do any of you, um, you don't raise your hand, but do any of you have really strong opinions about certain things that you, you are sure that you're right about? Do you enjoy it when people come to you and say, you're wrong about that, Right? Do any of you have some like really strong, like political convictions? Do you love it when someone comes to you and says, you're wrong? Okay, we have a natural aversion to truth because we don't like to be told we are wrong. But here's what I'm telling you. God has opinions that are different from your opinions. And what Paul is saying is, if you want the church to be the church, then God's opinion and his truth needs to matter the most. God cannot lie. I think as we go through the book of Titus, here's one of the most important questions you need to be thinking about right now. If what you believe were not true, would you want to know it? If what you believe about the world and how you act and why you do what you do, if what you believe were not true, would you want someone to tell you? Because in Paul's introduction, he's giving us a warning that I'm about to tell you God's opinion. And he says God is truth. That's the first thing. But then he goes on. He says, in the hope of eternal life, that God who cannot lie promised before time began. There's a hope of eternal life that God promised before time began. What is the promise before time began? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the promise. 
Now, in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, this is another letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. He begins and he says, hey, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I was announcing to you the mystery of God, this eternal plan. I didn't come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Here's the second point, and and we're asking the question, what is truth? If this is what's going to help us remember our vision and mission as a church, our purpose, what is truth? God is truth, number one, but number two, salvation through Jesus Christ is truth. Salvation through Jesus Christ is truth. This is what Paul is saying, this, this hope of eternal life that that spans even before time began. God had this plan. God had this purpose. So I was, um, I'm taking Gospel 101 with a, a bunch of the men in Veritas, and this is written by our very own Jeff Dodge, and this is a great study. If you're, if you're new to the Bible, new to the Gospel, this would be a great place to start. Well, in this class, uh, we have to do a survey, and we have to talk to um, three different people and ask them these questions every week. Now, it's not some uh, kind of a, a backhanded way of, of a backdoor into sharing the gospel. We're just sincerely trying to understand what people think about the gospel. And the first question that we had to ask this week is, have you ever read the Bible? And what is the main message of the Bible? And so I asked my friend uh, at basketball and one of my buddies there, and, and his for answer to the first question, have you read the Bible, was yes. Yes, he's read the Bible. He, he said he, he grew up when he was younger and had been to church and read a lot of the Bible. So the second question, what is the main message of the Bible? He said, I don't think there is a main message. Well, there are many messages, like how to live obey the Ten Commandments, and there are a bunch of parables on how to do that stuff. Only stuff was a different S word. So, that's his summary of the whole, like, point of the Bible. The whole point of the Bible is there's a bunch of rules in there that you got to do. And so, when you go to church, like, they tell you all the rules, and then you go out, and you try really hard to do the rules. Like, that's the whole point. Here's the problem with that. That's not the point. That's not the point of why we're here. The point of why we're here is this story that spans history, as Paul says, before time began. God had this plan. God had this plan for eternity before time began and it will continue long after. And that is the point. The point is Jesus Christ revealed. Jesus Christ breaking into our pit and our mud and our mire and our mess and calling us out and saving us through his death, burial, resurrection. Before time began, God had this plan and the climax of history is the cross of Jesus Christ. And you think about, well, heaven is the climax, right? Heaven is the climax. Well, what are they saying in heaven? If you read the book of Revelation, they're saying, worthy is the lamb to receive glory and honor and power because he was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Even for eternity, we're gonna be looking back at the cross and saying, I cannot believe God did that for me. 
I have no business being here. We're going to see that Jesus Christ is the point. That is why we are here. That is the message of the Bible, that Jesus Christ, as he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So my friend at basketball was saying, the point is the commands. The point is the rules. No, that is not the point. That's like saying the point of grammar is to cross all your T's. That's the point of grammar. The reason you study grammar is so that you can learn how to cross your T's. No, that's not the point of grammar. The point of grammar is to communicate clearly. The point of grammar is to be able to say something intelligible to another person so you can have a relationship, you can communicate. And crossing your T's helps accomplish communication because I can tell if you're saying T or ooh, right? It's like, that's the point. That's why we're here. So, to summarize so far, we're here because we've been called out. And the way that we stay called out and stay the colony of heaven is we listen to God who is the truth. We preach Christ and God's eternal plan of salvation. God made a promise. We believe it. And the last point he says in verse three, in his own time, he has revealed what? His word. He has revealed his word. What, how? In the preaching with which I was entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. This last point here, what is truth? God's word is truth. God's word is truth. So we open the Bible and we don't just see rules. We see precious promises. We see promises from this God who doesn't lie. And we read these promises and we believe them. And as we believe those promises, it changes us. It transforms us. And it affects not just our intellect. I'm not just saying, hey, just agree intellectually. You just need to agree with this set of facts, this true stuff about God. No, no, it affects our behavior it changes us as we, as we open God's word and we see great and precious promises and we believe them. Just imagine this. Um, if I were to make a promise to you, if I were to say, hey, church, um, here's a promise. Everyone who sticks around, um, I'm gonna give a million dollars to. Okay, so I've gotta, I've gotta leave for a little bit, um, but, but hey, um, I'm going to give everyone who sticks around when I come back a million dollars. So everyone gets a million dollars. So um, I'll see you guys in a little bit, all right? And I just leave. Um, how many of you stick around? Like some of you that like know me pretty well would be like, um, most of the time Mark tells the truth, but like, guys, let's just leave because there's no way he's coming back with a million dollars, right? Some of you might stick around and you might be, be waiting around like, hey, dude, what if he does? Like, I'm, I'm staying here. Like, I made a promise and I left. And some of you will just stick around and that faith in my promise is going to change what you're doing this afternoon, right? It's going to change your behavior because you were going to go home and watch football, but instead you're going to stay in your chair. And that's how God's promises affect us. Like, God makes a promise and we're like, 
Yes, I believe that's true. And in some ways, you're like, is believing a promise doing anything? Well, kind of. Like, is sitting here waiting for me to get back, like, doing anything? Yeah, it's like affecting your afternoon. It's affecting your life. Paul is saying God has made this amazing promise to us. Not for a million dollars, but for eternal life. And we listen to his truth. We listen to his promises and we take his word. And we become these little apprentices of Jesus and we see the truth that's proclaimed and we change our lives and we orient our afternoons around what God promised. We orient our, what we're going to find as we go through Titus is he's going to talk to us about how to be employees. How should we speak in our workplace? He's going to get into our dating lives. Some of you guys are dating, you know, and this truth is going to invade every aspect of your life. For some of you that are, that are aging, maybe you're getting into the empty nest stage of life, he has specific instructions for how he wants you to use your retirement or to use your empty nest for the glory of God. Paul's going to have instruction to young women and young moms and young, young men in the church. He's got instructions about how to, how to interact with the government, which we need because November's coming and we live in Iowa and it's going to be a total mess. You thought 2016 was bad, right? Just wait till 2020 and the, the, the vitriol and fighting and all the, and Paul is going to have instructions for us on how to be the colony of heaven in a hostile political environment. If you keep showing up over the next seven weeks, Here's what we're going to do. Here's our strategy. We are going to open God's word and we're going to just try to let him speak. And Jeff and I are going to do our best to stand up here every week and not give our opinions, but just try to point you to the truth of God and to live under God's word and let it judge our thoughts and attitudes. That's gonna be our posture as we study this. And here's what I need from you guys. We, Jeff and I, we need your help. Here's why we need your help. Because you know what? We're just like you. And we are tempted to lie. We're tempted to bend the truth. You know why? Because truth be told, like, I want you guys to like me. Like, I want these chairs to be filled up, right? And I might have a tendency to like, change what I say so that more people will keep showing up and not get offended. Here's the problem with that. If nobody gets offended by stuff that's being said from up here, then we are no longer speaking the truth. And so we need your help to study the book of Titus with us, to like literally to open it up and to read it with us. That's why you can see, um, the passages that we're preaching on are um, in the monthly uh, program. You can get one at Info Central. It breaks down the passages that we're going through that week. Read those before. Like, don't believe it just because we're saying it, right? We're just like you. We're not God. We have a tendency to maybe bend the truth. Please help us. Keep us accountable. Ask us questions and we'll come to you. And man, what is Paul saying this? What does this look like? What does this mean? Study with us. Be on the journey with us as we try to be a church that is not a misnomer. 
The name of our church is Veritas, okay, which means truth in Latin. Help us to be a church that proclaims truth and is transformed by the truth, okay? That's my ask of you because we also live in Crete and what we are saying may be offensive, but this is the way that we stay the people that God has called us to be. So that's where we're going. This graphic is hopefully an image of this statement, the truth that leads to godliness. This is actually a picture of ink getting dropped into water. And uh, Mitchell changed the water to black. And, and that's a picture of the point of this book of Titus that we, as the church, as we are dropped into this dark culture, we become the color and the beauty and the joy and the love that just begins to invade the darkness. May God help us to be the church that he's called us to be. Let's pray together. Jesus, I just want to close um, by praying what Jesus prayed for us before he went to the cross. John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Set them apart by the truth. Your word is truth. God, help us to every week as we open the book of Titus to approach it, not as just a list of rules and things we have to do, but as precious promises from a great God who does not lie. Help us to grow in awe of Jesus. We pray in your name, amen.